Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 113, and I'm drinking John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum. With each episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I'm featuring Velvet Falernum on this episode because it was a request from a listener. And just what exactly is Velvet Falernum? It is a rum-based liqueur that includes lime and cane sugar. It's a category of its own. John D. Taylor is considered the standard bearer of Falernum today, but certainly not the only brand available. So the bottle I have for the tasting is John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum. It's a standard 750 milliliters. It is 11% ABV, making it 22 proof, and it retails at $22 for me. The bottle itself is clear glass, and I'd describe it as a standard or perhaps stock glass mold, in that it's very cylindrical with slightly protruding foot and shoulder to protect the label area from rubbing if bottles were in direct contact with each other. It has a round shoulder with a tapered, tallish neck you can easily carry the bottle from. It's topped by a metal screw cap that's green and white with velvet falernum printed in the white band of the screw top. The front and back labels are paper and an ecru or eggshell color with a bit of texture to it. Top and bottom of the label features a bright green floral, almost paisley pattern, abutting gold foil bands before getting to the plain paper field of the main label. Top of the label, below the gold foil band, it reads John D. Taylor's in a serifed all-caps font. Two medals are shown below this in gold foil, the first with a date of 1923 for a certificate of merit, and the second from 1980 for something I can't quite make out. I'm not sure what it's for. Then, Velvet is in green text above the largest text on the bottle that simply reads Falernum, which is rendered in gold foil embossed. Liqueur is in black text below, and to finish out the label, proof and volume information are noted along with Product of Barbados, blended and bottled by R.L. Seal & Co. Ltd., the original Falernum. The back label is similarly styled to the front, but a bit smaller, and contains this text below the logo type. Falernum is a liqueur developed in Barbados in the 18th century. It was first made by blending rum, sugar, lime juice, and certain spices on the sugar estate. When rum moved from being made on the sugar estate to being blended and bottled in Bridgetown, so too did Falernum. In 1890, famed rum blender John D. Taylor refined this recipe into an award-winning liqueur that became the essential ingredient in tropical cocktails. Well, there you have it. This episode is done. (laughs) Not really, of course. There's more to the story than those few lines on the back label. Last thing of note on the back label is the recipe for the cocktail, the corn and oil. More on that in Cocktails and Consumption, but first, let's crack this bottle open. And as I do with all spirits on this podcast, I am tasting it neat, which is straight out of the bottle, room temperature, not diluted, 
And for that purpose, I'm using a clean Glencairn glass. It's a whiskey nosing glass. Allows you to see the spirit, nose the spirit, or smell it. And of course, taste the spirit. Okay, let's open this up. Should give me a nice little crack. There we go. And now for a pour. Ooh, it's thick. Syrupy almost. In the glass, it is mostly clear. It does have a slight green tinge to it. You notice that in the bottle, especially holding it against a white background, you'll see that the liquid itself is a little bit green. As I noted when I poured it, it's rather thick and it really coats the glass barely or hardly even at all. I don't actually see any legs coming down the edges of the glass. That just tells you there's not a lot of alcohol in it and at only 11% ABV, it is indeed a very light proof. But on the nose, oh, it's different than I expected, actually. Uh, it does not smell citrusy or necessarily sweet either. Uh, what is that? It's faintly clove on the nose and reminds me of old-timey candies I would have had at my grandmother's for some reason. There's maybe, maybe a bit of citrus in it. Yeah, touch of clove, perhaps, and I don't know, it, indistinct old-timey candy, I guess is a way to describe it. Sort of almost like that ribbon candy that looks good, and then as a child, when you try it, you're disappointed because it's not really exactly what you were after, but it's candy nonetheless. That's just where my memory goes when I nose this. So now let's go for a taste. Mm. Mm. It's sweet. There's lime, but there's some spice. There is some clove flavor to it and that old-timey candy is indeed reinforced for me on the palate. Let's try it again. Immediately it comes off as sweet and then on the sides of my tongue I get a lime citrus to it but then it lingers and finishes with some clove and the clove makes me think of a gum. What was it? Clove gum? That might be the brand. It's an old-timey flavor, I guess. Maybe that's an odd description. But, uh, yeah, it makes me think of my youth and my grandmother for some reason. It's quite good. Can't pick up alcohol at all. One of the things in the history, the amount of alcohol added to falernum is primarily there to preserve the other ingredients, the lime and the sugar. So it's not intended to be potent. So let's jump into the history, and I will say that much of the history of John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum for this episode comes from Richard Seal, the current maker of John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum, and thus I consider him the expert. I'll provide in the show notes a link to the source where Richard runs through a presentation on Falernum that he created for the Tales of the Cocktail event some years ago. So, Falernum was invented in Barbados, and many rum blenders historically made it. It has been confused with a non-alcoholic syrup used in tiki cocktails, 
And indeed, Tiki has essentially co-opted the name for their syrup, but falernum, as I'm describing it in the context of this episode, is alcoholic and was likely co-developed alongside rum on sugarcane estates. The original recipe was some blend of rum, lime, and sugar. Spices probably came later. The earliest references in print discovered thus far appear to be in 1821 in a Barbados newspaper, the Bridgetown Mercury Gazette, where it mentions falernum in the contents of seized goods for auction. Other references in print speak of exports later in the 1800s, including a small ad in 1887 that even lists what falernum is. It says, Falernum liqueur made of West India rum, limes, cane sugar. These and other print references prove it has been around for at least two centuries, but much like many old spirits, not everything about falernum was written down, and it may very well date back to the 17th century. Falernum is now viewed as a cocktail ingredient, and indeed it historically found use in cocktails punches or bitters with recipes and references to mixing it as early as 1881. Historically, however, falernum was consumed much like wine, with records from the mid-1800s supporting this, drunk by the glass full. And at the time, sugar itself was not viewed as a bad thing, not like the excess it's become today, but rather still a luxury and a sweetened drink would have been welcomed by all. Indeed, wine is perhaps where the name comes from. An ancient Roman wine, Falernum wine, was a very well-regarded nectar of the gods. It's speculated that early blenders in Barbados named their rum, lime, and sugar concoction Falernum as an homage to the Roman wine to perhaps transfer some of that goodwill or brand equity, as we'd say today, to their own product. There is also a legend that Falernum got its name from a thickly accented way to say you need to learn it with regards to the recipe for the product, but this name origin story doesn't seem valid to me and hardly bears repeating. So John D. Taylor's, how did this end up being the original Falernum? Well, Richard Seal describes John D. Taylor as having been a rum blender not unlike other blenders who would purchase bulk spirits from distillers and then blend them with other spirits, extracts, or flavorings in their own special way to create blended products and liqueurs. John D. Taylor simply made a very good falernum, but didn't invent it. The back of the bottle just claims he refined the recipe to be award-winning. John D. Taylor, the company, was acquired by Allianne Arthur, another rum blender, and when they bought John D. Taylor, they stopped making their own Allianne Arthur Falernum, but continued bottling the John D. Taylor version. This happened when R.L. Seal purchased the Allianne Arthur company and the John D. Taylor brand in 1993. They stopped making their own Seal family Falernum in favor of continuance of the superior John D. Taylor version. The recipe for which was highly guarded, and Richard Seale describes the handing over of the formula upon the purchase as momentous as if it were the recipe for Coca-Cola. I'm sure they covet and protect it just as much today. Undoubtedly, the reason we know of Falernum today and why this product exists for me to feature in this episode at all is due to tiki cocktails 
and the famous founder of the genre, Don Beach. Born Ernest Raymond Gant, he had an adventurous and colorful life, traveling the world in the 1920s in lieu of college until his money ran out, exploring exotic locales, gathering souvenirs, and a love of rum and tropical flavors along the way. Post-prohibition, he opened a small cocktail bar in Hollywood, California, he named for his alter ego. Don's Beachcomber was the name given to the bar, written on a piece of driftwood, and the bar was decorated with what we know of as tiki decor today. But importantly, Don Beach created rum-heavy drinks, he called rum rhapsodies, that could be described as riffs on a planter's punch, where Don experimented with layering rums, fruit juices, and syrups to create something new, tiki. And Don used falernum in the drinks, perhaps most notably in the zombie. Yet, to protect his business, he obscured the ingredients in the recipes, coding them, referring to them by number in some cases, and in the case of falernum, it's been recorded that in one of Don Beach's recipe books, he spelled falernum backwards to hide its true identity. Don undoubtedly was introduced to real falernum in the Caribbean and knew of the flavor and sweetness it could impart to a cocktail. By the 1940s, tiki was spreading, and falernum grew in popularity in the U.S., despite Don's best efforts, apparently, to obscure the fact that falernum was used in his cocktails. The tiki craze lasted through the 1960s when it began to decline for various reasons, but the Vietnam War played a role. No longer were tiki bars a tropical escape for all. Young men were shipped off to Vietnam, a country not unlike what might have been portrayed in some tiki bars. Plus, travel became more and more accessible, particularly by jet airplane. And with Hawaii becoming a U.S. state in the summer of 1959, the fictionalized tropical escapism of the tiki bar was losing its appeal. By the 1970s, tiki was effectively dead, though thankfully some has survived, and there's a bit of reconciliation of sorts occurring in tiki with the cultural appropriation fantasy from which it was birthed. There's much more on the topic of tiki, but suffice it to say that the decline of the tiki bar, Falernum, disappeared from the U.S., and globally consumption declined and consolidation occurred in the brands still in production. Tiki cocktails are not where Falernum was first used. There are several well-known cocktails featuring Flarenum that predate Tiki. The Green Swizzle, for instance, included Flarenum with a recipe in print circa 1908. During the cocktail renaissance of the early 2000s, Flarenum is rediscovered in old cocktail books, yet it is an ingredient that cannot be procured in its true form, not in the U.S. anyway. Thus, bartender-made versions, U.S.-made inspired versions, and non-alcoholic concoctions are created to try to replicate it. It was only really due to the dedication of Eric Seed, founder of boutique importer Haas Alpens, that John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum returned to the U.S. in 2009. Haas Alpens remains the U.S. importer as of this recording, and they've succeeded in satiating the U.S. market's desire for a Barbados liqueur that had been in continual production just beyond our reach. 
The word velvet as a modifier on falernum was likely used by John D. Taylor to represent a more premium version of falernum and to differentiate it from their white falernum. Some people have also theorized that velvet is used to describe the syrupy, smooth mouthfeel, but the originator, John D. Taylor, most likely used it for the premium connotation that velvet carried at the time. So that's the history. Now on to how it's made. I'm not sure. It's a secret recipe, of course. Uh, What's known is it uses rum, lime, sugar, and almond flavor. It's purported to be an infusion of lime peel, almonds, and perhaps cloves, but the perhaps is likely absolutely cloves. I taste cloves in it, so it'd have to be some alchemy to create that flavor if there are not cloves in it. One detail disclosed about production noted that filtration has been improved in the last few decades to remove any sediment that may have been acceptable before, before it was exported to the U.S. in quantity. It is a low proof at only 11% ABV, but that's strong enough to preserve the ingredients indefinitely when unopened. And Haas Alpens says two to three years shelf life once the bottle has been opened. So now on to cocktails and consumption. I prefer most of my liquors and liqueurs neat right out of the bottle. This is quite lovely. It's sweet and uh, it's got that old-timey candy feel to it. So that's likely how I will drink it. But most people buy John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum for tiki cocktails. However, the corn and oil is the one listed on the back of the bottle, and this is definitely not a tiki cocktail. It's a simple cocktail with the earliest recipe in print dating to around 1912, when it was equal parts brandy and falernum. However, the back of the bottle version is now one part falernum to four parts rum, preferably a Barbados rum. The name, corn and oil, is odd in that there's no corn nor oil, and it looks like neither. So why the name? Richard Seale thinks the theory put forth that the name comes from a passage in the King James Version of the Bible, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 14, which reads, "...that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn." and thy wine, and thine oil. The theory being that religious people of the day, or those whom fancied themselves religious, concocted a cocktail they thought to be akin to God's gift, and thus co-opted two elements representing his bounty of the land to sustain you, corn and oil. Sounds plausible, though it's definitely a misleading cocktail name. So in summary, what do I think of John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum? It surprised me. I expected it to be more citrusy, less clove intensive, and I really did not expect that old-timey candy uh, reminiscence to come from it. But it is a nice product, a bit of an obscure product, definitely a required ingredient if you're going to lean into tiki cocktails. You'll need a dozen rums, at least. There's a lot, but rum has great flavor, but you need the flavor that Velvet Falernum offers to really get it right. So, you may find John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum around. Most bars, unless they specialize in tiki cocktails, likely will not have it. It's not something that would have a whole lot of use otherwise. That said, you can substitute simple syrup 
for John D. Taylor's Velvet Falernum, or the other way around. Use the Falernum in place of simple syrup. It's got a little bit of alcohol punch to it. Well, punch is not the right word. It's a 22 proof. So there's a touch of alcohol, but it does have additional flavoring elements to it. So you're going to modify your cocktail if you use this. It's also got a pretty good story. I like the fact that it's always been produced. There was multiple brands. There's still more than John D. Taylor's, but John D. Taylor's is indeed the standard bearer. It's mostly undisputed to be the original Falernum. But during the cocktail renaissance, people couldn't find it. And so they made their own or U.S. manufacturers created high proof Falernums. You can get products called Falernum that one would argue is not Falernum that has the same proof as vodka. So that's not really going to work in the same way that John D. Taylor's would. So, you know, play around if you're into mixing drinks. I'm into mixing simple drinks, but mostly just drinking straight. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Show notes are on liquorinthecoreconnoisseur.com. You'll find the show on your favorite podcast platform. I'm also on social media. You can tend to find me on Instagram, most likely. As John D. Taylor's was a request from a listener, I like to feature spirits that people want to hear about. So if there is something you would like to know more about, please do reach out. Contact information is on my website. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>